Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I am so excited, guys. I have a fantastic guest with me who I just met about three minutes ago and already we're best friends. It's great. Uh, the final member for me to meet of Uriah Heap's lineup, Bernie Shaw. Bernie, how are you? Hello, hello. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I don't know where you are, but in, in, in Cambridgeshire, I've just dropped the kids off from school and I'm starting my day. I think half of your audience is probably halfway through a good evening and just ready for some rock and roll nighttime. You know, it's weird. The audience is kind of all over the world. I've got some in countries I can't even pronounce. And uh, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> you probably have. <laughs> well, Uriah Heep has been one of those groundbreaking bands that has has been the first rock band to play in countries before. Uh, that's a pretty amazing story to be able to say that you woke this country up to rock and roll. Yeah, we've been very, very fortunate over the 50 years. Well, 52 years officially. 52, yeah. Uh, yeah. Being the first Western rock band full production-wise to go to Russia back in 1987, that was a serious feather in the cap, uh, you know, all put together through a Hungarian promoter, Laszlo Hegedus. And, I mean, he worked, like, for five years, I think, putting that thing together. Wow. And then, again, being the first Western rock band in South Korea, Again, you know, a, a first. I think we were one of the first bands to go to Czech Republic when it was still Czechoslovakia, you know. So uh, it, it, it's kind of cool knowing that you're the first to take rock music into a country where they've always had it, albeit underground or, or on pirate radio, but to actually take a stage show where nobody's ever treaded the boards. That, that's pretty cool. It's it's. It really is. And, you know, you've been in the band now over 30 years, not only the longest running singer, but one of the longest running members of the band. Obviously, you know, Mick's been there since day one, but uh, Phil joined uh, at the same time that you did. For, for You guys started on the same album, so you guys have really changed the sound of the band over the years. I love the way you sounded on the last couple albums. In fact, I think Living the Dream is one of the best albums the band has ever done. I'm dying to hear the new one. How did it feel getting back into the studio and recording again? It was, uh, well, okay, there was a little bit of a break because of the COVID situation, but it was very much, uh, dare I say, duck to water. We went to the same studio, the chapel up in Lincolnshire in England here. We used the same producer, Jay Rushton, because living the dream just, it, it did it for us as well. It, it just sounded so natural and so powerful, very organic sounds. And it was, it was old school recording like we're used to. And, and you know, we're, we use the technology. We don't let technology use us. And Jay was very much into that you know, modus operandi. So we went, it worked on this last one. Let's, let's copy it, but have maybe a slightly different approach to some of the songs. And um, it, it, it's more of a diverse album than Living the Dream. There's a, a little bit more, dare I say, prog rock on it. Some of the songs, uh, Russ really came to the, to the table on this one. He wrote a couple of really good songs that are, on the album and uh it's diverse but it's strong but it's got all the the key trademarks that you know and love you know the the hammond organ and the wah-wah guitar uh the most amazing drum sound i think we've ever had wow. with russell just just phenomenal drum sound and uh 
Jay had me using a different microphone that we usually use. This uh, Neumann, a very, very old German microphone, which he's always sworn is the best vocal mic ever made. And I have to agree with him. The vocal sound on this album is just absolutely out of this world. Oh, it's it's warm yet sharp. It's got, you know, I'm a singer. I'm going to get excited about the, <laughs> uh, the way the microphone sounds. Sure, yeah. But it, 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 it's got my, my voice sounding at its best. Uh, all the harmony, the steep, you know, the big keep harmonies are there. And it's a powerful melodic album. So uh, I can't wait for you guys to hear it as well. Yeah, yeah. We were just getting the, the final mixes through from L.A. over the last couple of weeks. So the, the band are really hyped up about it because it, it's sounding good, you know. And what is it, number 27 or 28 on the, the album chart uh, for this one would be 25 for how many we've made? This would be 25. Yeah. 25. Wow. That's a lot of albums. <laughs> that's a lot. of, And that's just studio albums. Right. That's not best ofs, lives, compilations, bootlegs. Right. Anniversaries. You know, that, that's just studio albums. So, yeah, that, that's a lot of music. It that's is. a lot of catalog. And, and you're absolutely right about Russell. Uh, of all the drum sounds over all the albums, I think he's gotten the cleanest, brightest sound out of the drums. There's some songs, you know, going through the catalog where I couldn't really hear what Lee Kerslake was playing because it was so muffled. And so you guys have really dialed it in now. And that just makes the music much more enjoyable to listen to. Uh, I got to ask you about my one of my favorite songs and one of my favorite performances of yours on Live in the Dream is a song called Dreams of Yesteryear, the final track on the album. Uh, boy, oh, yeah. this, this one's emotional. This one, I, I have to stop listening to it in the car because... It just, I just get so welled up with emotion that I really should be paying more attention to the road. <laughs> you know, wow. uh, that song just means so much to me. It feels so powerful. And your delivery of the lyrics, especially on this song, it just it just gets me in the heart every single time. How do you do it? Um, I, I wish I could say, oh, yeah, I just do this. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. I, I mean. Because I'm not a lyricist, when I read a lyric that either Mick or Mick and Phil or Phil by himself, when I get given a sheet of lyrics and I, I read through them, it's pretty instantaneous if I can get my teeth into it. And Dreams of Yesteryear was very much like that. Um, go back a few more years, What Kind of God oh, yeah. was, I, I read that, I got welled up because you know, being Canadian, we, we know all the American history and then the, uh, the story of bury my heart at wounded knee and the, uh, the whole political situation back in the 1800s and the Indians and how they were persecuted. And I, I just, it, it really struck a chord with me. So songs that have got a, a true meaning or a true story that I can just get my teeth into, I have no problem with. And I just, it, it just, it's a natural flow. And if I've got a producer that is not, yeah, just one more take. Yeah, well, well, yeah, we almost got it. One more take. You know, Jay is like, sing it. I'll tell you if we got it. Yeah. And we worked one on one. And I mean, I bless. I know some singers out there that have a lot of problems in studios and it can take forever to get a vocal track. And well, for instance, Def Leppard. I know that Mutt Langer used to have, you know, uh, you know, a hundred vocal tracks to, to choose from. And then he'd still piece it together to make it what he wanted to sound in his head. 
And I, I could never do that. I, I, I want to sing the song, maybe do it three times and then tell me, how is it going? Because I want to have the hair go up in the back of your neck. And if it doesn't, then I'm not singing it right. Yeah. No, and, and you know what and, I mean? And you do. And first of all, poor Joe Elliott, it's <laughs> just got to be right. He's, when they get ready to do a new oh. album, he's probably just, you know, having panic attacks because that's, oh. that's a lot to deal with. It, it really did. I, I think that because Trev, bless him, used to be very good friends with the, the Def Leppard boys. And, and Joe used to go, you know, my, my throat was, you know, almost bleeding. Yeah. And then he goes, yeah, that's the sound I'm looking for. <laughs> well, that, that wasn't a normal or natural sound for Joe. Right, yeah. You know, he, he's done very well and he's now made it his style. But, mm. you know, um, same with Lou Graham, you know, that they used to just rag him in the studio to get the sound rather than just use what the singers got naturally. Right. You know, more often than not, that will do the same thing. But if some producers or some writers have got a certain idea of a sound in their head and they want you mechanically to get that. Now, if you're using a guitar, you just turn a knob on an amplifier or, you know, turn a, a different button on a keyboard to get a sound. But when you're working with two little tiny filaments in your neck, you know, vocal cords are really, really fragile things. So to rag them like that, <laughs> there can be repercussions. Oh, yeah. And you can't just put a capo on them and say, well, I'm just going to sing it in this key now. And, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. Exactly. You know, that'd be nice, but that uh, doesn't work. Uh, I get to make a very strange comparison to you right now. You have a certain quality that I also find in Reba McIntyre, where you're not writing your stories. You're not you're not creating or speaking from experience, but you sing like you've been there or like you're going through it now. I, I feel such a connection when I listen to you, even if I'm not paying attention to the words, just listening to your to your voice more as an instrument. I feel a really interesting connection to you as a vocalist that I don't get with a lot of other people. But I compare you to Reba because she's only written one song that I'm aware of. Yet everything I've heard her sing, I'm right there with her taking that journey. Absolutely. I mean, she, she's, uh, as female vocalists go, she's one of my favorite mm. vocalists. She does have an amazing voice. And, and you're right. I, I didn't know that she didn't write because... Uh, I guess some singers can just do that. They just, they put their own stamp on a song. They don't have to write it as long as you can get into that pair of pajamas. You know what I mean? And, and it's a matter of not just selling it, but it's believing in it. Right. Yeah. That's but I mean, you can, you can I am the worst critique. Really? Sorry. Uh, well, I, I, was saying I am the worst can... critique. If somebody. After you. I was saying that, I can be the worst critique in the studio. If somebody can hands me, you know, it can be any, anybody hands me, hands me some lyrics and I can go, Ooh, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. Do we have to, that? can we maybe keep the same implication, but change the actual word? Can we do this, do that, change that. And luckily with Phil and Mick, they know that's going to happen. You know, no one writes a song that's, you know, carved in stone lyrically. And, uh, Russ uh, kind of found out with his song because he'd never written songs before with the band. When he came, uh, I was quite, I wouldn't say difficult. I just want to get the best performance out of me, which means I've got to have the a total belief in the lyric. 
So we sat down a few times and said, can we change this a little bit? Because, you know, uh, this is the way you would see it, but this is the way that I would see it. And if I'm going to stand up in front of a hundred or a hundred thousand people and sell it, I got to believe it. And he'd go, okay, what, what's your ideas? I said, well, you know, what about this? What about that? And we just tweak things. So we both be happy. And then hopefully you get the best out of the song and the singer. Well, see, and that's why I've never paid too much attention to who's got the writing credits, because regardless, at the end of the day, everybody has their stamp on a song, you know, whether whether you everybody. Giving, yeah, it's just not possible in a band like that. Uh, but what I love about you guys, and I watched the uh, documentary that came with the Live in the, the Dream CD DVD combo. I loved how how you guys just felt like a family. You know, like this is just something that you're doing because you enjoy it, not because you have a contract with the record company or because it's how you make a living. You just are there because that's where you want to be. And you guys are all in it together. And I really love the Absolutely. unity of the band. Well, that's what, I mean, when Mick and David Byron first put the band together, I, th I think that was one of the prime factors is if we're going to put a band together, it's got to be with your mates. Uh, you know, you a you've got to be musically compatible. You can't have somebody, you know, a, a pub band level and somebody, you know, concert level. You want to all at the same level, all going on down the same road. But you've got to be mates because you're going to be spending more time with them than your family. And over 35, 36 years, I've spent a heck of a lot more of my anniversaries with Mick rather than my wife because we just do. You know, we're still on the road to well, 200 days a year, yeah. doing 120 odd concerts. So you, you've got to get along. But saying that, uh, like any dysfunctional family, uh, you do have times where tempers, you know, they, they fray because we are in such close proximity for so long. But it's 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 healthy. It's healthy to have a, a blow up and, the, and then have a, a big you know, reunion hug and go, oh, Jesus, I needed to get that off my chest. But now let's just go have a drink and have some fun and play some music. Because if it ain't fun, why put yourself through all that? Exactly. Why would you bother? Uh, I got to share this story with you because the first time I've gotten uh, the chance to see you guys twice, the last two times you played in Vegas. And the first time was at uh, Boulder Station Casino. And oh, yeah. So I, I was so excited because I had never I never thought I would see you guys. I only heard about you touring in Europe. So I missed all these shows I could have seen. But you guys come out and you said, and I love this about you, you said we had a lot of fun last night. So you're going to have to give us a couple songs to get warmed up. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just, hey, we're just going to come out and be on fire. It was like, hey, you know what, guys? We took advantage of living or being in Vegas and we had some fun. So just bear with us a little bit. We'll be with you. And that was great. Well, it, it, it was my first time in Vegas on that, on that tour. And I do remember, you know, I'm, I'm not a big gambler, but uh, the all you can eat buffet bar. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> I think we went, I think we overdid it on the Alaskan King crab legs, <laughs> followed by copious amounts of margaritas. <laughs> But we were in Vegas, you yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was a fantastic show. And what I loved most about the show is it wasn't just that you guys were playing great. It wasn't that you sounded great. It was that you enjoyed being on that stage so much that it made the song sound Absolutely. even better. 
you know, there was just, you can't wipe the smile off Mick's face from the time he wa- walks out to the time he goes off stage. I mean, it's just there the whole time. You were having a blast. Yeah. Everybody was just there and having a good time. That made the show much better than just coming out and playing the songs well. Well, we've never been a band that just goes out and goes through the motions. Uh, that's just too, it's too hard. It's too much like acting, you know? And as I said earlier, if you, if you don't enjoy it, what are you there for? I'm with four amazing musicians and not taking anything away from when I played for 27 years with Trevor as my, you know, my left wing man on bass and with Lee behind me on the drums. I mean, Heap has always been a force to be reckoned with live because we have fun. That's it. We just go out and do it. And we we bounce off each other. There's there's some bands that work on friction and we we work on friendship. And hopefully it shows. Well, it must show it from your comments that you just said. Yeah, it actually does. Our, our, the last visit to uh Vegas was with Judas Priest. Mm-hmm. And it was a much bigger venue. And we, we even had bigger grins on our faces because we were open. Well, we were accepted from all these quite diehard priest fans because they are a lot heavier than us. Yeah. But uh, it worked out in our favor. And at the end of the night, the whole place was going nuts. And we just, Vegas is a really, really cool place. And, you know, I've, I've played lots of different cities across America, but Vegas is... It's carved out, of, carved out of its own stone, isn't it? There's, yeah. There's, there's a reason why there's a little place in Nevada and nowhere, you know, there's nothing like it in the world, which is really, really cool. That is absolutely true. And, and that was at the, uh, the Hard Rock that you guys opened for Priest. And yeah. I, I would say, honestly, I didn't stay for the whole Priest show. I was basically there to see you guys. But I, every, you know, the crowd was just as loud for you as they were for Priest. By, by the time that you guys were done, you had won everybody over that, that wasn't familiar with you. I can say that. That was, well, that was it, a great night. It, it did seem like that. Uh, I, I got to admit, we, we did. We made a lot of new fans over there uh, across the whole of the states opening up for Priest. It just it, it took us to a whole different fan base and a lot younger which was uh, nice to see as well. But uh, because they weren't familiar with us, it was a little bit of how we're going to approach this. Right. And it was like, stand our ground, have some fun. And either they're going to tap into it or they're not. And more often than not, they tapped into it. They yeah. knew we were having a gap. Oh, for sure. And uh, you know, now you need to expand your horizons and start working with Alice Cooper and win over all of his fans. <laughs> well, we've a- done a... We know... We know Coop very well. We've done a couple of tours in Europe with Cooper. Oh, okay. And I sent him a Christmas card, him and Cheryl, mm-hmm. every year. And uh, yeah, but his fans are pretty different as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I, I got to ask you about another song uh, that I absolutely love that you did was called uh, Mistress of All Time. That's another one of your vocal de- deliveries that I'm just like, wow, there's so much passion in that and and not that you don't in the other songs but that's just one that really strikes a, a chord for for lack of better term uh really strikes a chord with me it's a it's a really quite dynamic song mm-hmm. but when it when it comes out of the co- uh out of the verse into the chorus uh especially on that downbeat bum, 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 uh, and then the big vocal chorus comes in 
yeah, the, boy, you're going back a few years on that. I am. <laughs> but uh, I had a different, I had a different sound to my voice on, on those songs. And I remember Mistress it, again, really good song. Really got into it and behind it. But uh, yeah, I had a, a much more kind of a higher range and cleaner approach to that song. Again, that's what Phil wanted because Phil wrote it, right? And we worked together on on the the vocal approach. But uh, yeah, different than what my voice sounds like today. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, a little bit. Yeah, there's a little. Well, bit- I was a lot younger back then. <laughs> Weren't we all? Uh, so uh, my last question for well, actually I had two more for you, if you don't mind. Uh, I wanted if you could tell me a little sure. bit about the Colin Shaw project. Uh well. Dale took Dale Collins, my, my friend and, and, and writing partner uh, in Alberta, Canada. He he's unfortunately a musician that has to have a day job instead of just focusing a hundred percent on his music, which he wishes he could do. But circumstances don't allow that right now. So he's working one hour in the studio and forty hours on a day job, and. It it makes his process unfortunately quite lengthy, but boy, do you get a quality of song at the end of it. And we took about six years getting all the songs written and the backing tracks recorded because it, it we just didn't have the facilities. You know, let alone I'm in England and he's in Canada. So, um, what I'm trying to say is we did number one, the album came out and we're still looking for a, a how do I put this? Uh, a, a second term for release. We're going, we're, we've got something in the pipeline for re-releasing it. Oh, good. He's now, writing, he's now writing what he wants to be the second album, mm-hmm. uh, but he's up against it again with, with, with timing. He's got about 40, as I, I talk to him weekly, he's got about 40 ideas. So, you know, some of those will be lyrical. Some of those will be just guitar lick, you know, on something. So we're, we're going to try and put something t- together over the next year that we might be able to get a proper band involved going into a proper studio together because it was so disjointed before. You know, he's using a home studio and then sending files over to me and then I'm going into a vocal studio and laying the vocals down. And it's, it's unfortunately the only way we can write right now, but it's, it's not my favorite way of recording. I'd rather have him right next to me in the studio and bouncing ideas off of him. But, uh, you know, Dale writes, Dale is like Mick and Phil. Writers write. They don't care what the weather's like or or what's happening, you know, in their lives. They write like painters paint. Yeah, you can't, you can't stop, stop the talent. So he's got some pretty pretty strong ideas happening. It's just a matter, hopefully, of of having the time and you know all the equipment set up because it is a a, a very strange situation where when you're renting a house within a, a basement and you've got a basement studio all set up and then somebody comes in and goes you know hey shut up for a week i'm off work you know <laughs> right. sort of thing or breathing down your neck yeah so uh he ha- he's got these limitations unfortunately that he's got to work with so 
he's not the happiest puppy sometimes because he would be like yourself. You know, it's it's getting to be one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. But if you want to do your show, you can do your show. Right. Yeah. He's got restrictions on what he can do, so it's a bit frustrating. But uh, it's not putting him off. He's still there. Good. We're we're looking at number two, but it's just with how Uriah Heap is. Even though we're not on the road, we're still being quite busy. Um, how much time I can actually put into something on the side? Yeah, no, and that that makes perfect sense. Uh, I will say I love the sound of the first album. I, I need to dig into it more. I've only heard it a couple times, but I really like the sound of it. I think the writing and the performances are great. Uh, I look forward to a second one, but I look forward to getting to know this one better as well, because I think there's some really good stuff there. So I'm glad to hear that uh, that's not the end of it. I'm, I was happy with it. I mean, uh, the fact that he gave all the files, you know, he sent them to the, the studio that I was using that Uriah Heap used to record at, at Solvery Park in Milton Keynes here. And I used uh, the same engineer that we did, Steve, and we've always had a good rapport because whenever we were doing Uriah Heap vocals, he would be the guy pushing the button and, you know, yep, got it. Yep, got it. So to be actually just working one on one was fun, but a little bit, a little bit scary right. because if I've got an idea for harmonies of, you know, your root, your first, your thirds, your fifths, uh, sometimes what I'm hearing in my head, constructions of harmonies isn't the most academic way of doing it to sure. say well, yeah. where you... Phil will sit down and go, these are your notes. And I went, you know, when you hear them one-on-one, -on -one, you go, that's doesn't, that's not going to sound good with what I've <laughs> And he goes, oh, but you haven't put the top one on, which goes, and he'll play something else. And you go, what the heck is that? But when you do sing them and you get them right and you blend them, you go, he was right. How did that sound so disjointed and you put them together sound like the Mormon tabernacle choir. <laughs> so I didn't have Phil when we were doing uh, too much information. Uh, it was just me, me and Steve and a little cheapo keyboard, like Casio keyboard. And he went, yeah, I think that, yeah, that, that should sound right. That's sound right. So all the vocals, all the harmonies were all done by me just having fun and trying you know experimenting with, with does this line go with that does this line go with that to make that full kind of heapy wall of harmony that i was going for because that's that's still my trademark at the end of the day sure and uh, i i think we got away with it and it only took i think it did the whole album in like four days really so with like and that's like six dare i say 60 tracks of vocals over the whole album so, uh, yeah, but, you know, you, if you get into uh, a mood and a run and the voice is just working without going too much over it, you know, it, it, we would be doing two, sometimes three songs in a day. And there's only, I think, eight songs on the album. But we, we flew through it incredibly fast. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing, especially with that number of tracks. And, you know, when you when you do the next one, you could always bring your iPad and have him there with you. Uh, if if the schedule works out where he's not at his day job, you could do that. I never even thought about that. Just like you and me talking, mm -hmm. it could be Dale in the studio going, hey, what about that? Hey, try this. 
I never even thought about that, Scott. Scott, that's a great idea. Yay. That's a really good idea. <laughs> so my last question for you, and this kind of leads into that, really, because I think part of the, the reason that you were able to do that many tracks is because you guys perform so much. I mean, your voice is running marathons every night. How through the pandemic, especially because, you know, you can lose your vocal cords so quickly if you're not using them as that's how I damaged my voice was because I would go three or four days without even speaking. And then I would go to a like a red carpet event or something and I would start talking. I would get really lightheaded because I was overworking my vocal cords because they just got weak. How have you been doing through the pandemic to keep your voice going? Well, as I said earlier, um, I used it more of a, as a rest than anything else. Uh, the fact that my family, especially my, my kids, Daddy, do you have to sing so loud? I said, well, this, I only really have one volume. And if we go caroling at Christmas, for some reason, I'm always the loudest guy on the block. <laughs> so they prefer me not to sing uh, while they're home. Cheeky little <laughs> I mean, hey, this pays the rent. That's you know? right, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, my wife runs a, a costume hire business, so she's out of the house a lot. And we, when the kids are at school, uh, I have freedom during the day just to warm my voice up at my pace, at my volume. And, you know, I, I don't do or haven't had in the past to do a lot of warming up because they never really had a chance to cool down. So I can pick up the gauntlet and they're already almost simmering. My, my problem with my voice at my throat specialist always said is you got to learn to calm it down after the show, not necessarily warm it up too much, but your problem is you need to calm it down and no talking on a tour bus uh, no talking in the car. I mean, the tour bus, I go, what's with all that about? He goes, well, that 12-cylinder diesel engine is kicking over at about 78 dB. So you're sitting on a tour bus trying to talk to your mates, and already your voice is over that high, just getting over the engine noise. And it never even occurred to me. Yeah. So no, no talking or very, very minimal talking. Uh, on the tour bus, unless I go right up to Mick and say, Mick, can I do something? But I've, I've got to be very close proximity because, uh, as you say, you know, you, you, they get strained. And if you're on a 30 or 40 date tour and your voice gets really tired after, say, five or eight shows, you, you, what do you do? Right. You be quiet. <laughs> you follow the doctor's advice. <laughs> yeah. Was it difficult with the shows that you did, uh, you know, right around the time that you were recording the album, you guys got to do a couple of shows. Were those difficult to sustain a full set? Funnily enough, it, it, it wasn't. I think because of the adrenaline kicked in, we've, we've never taken shows on during recording, only because it's, it's mainly the, the, the focus that we have. We record incredibly fast. Uh, because we're comfortable with the mu music, we're comfortable with the arrangements, and we're comfortable with each other's and your natural talent. You, you know, you shouldn't have to take 50 takes at a song. You know, if you can't do it in three or four, stop and move on. So that's that allows us to record, like Living the Dream was recorded in, in less than three weeks. Wow. Uh, we did 11 
11 backing tracks in 11 days. So, you know, I, there's some bands out there that take longer than that just to tune their guitars. <laughs> I won't make that. Because that would be, that would be catchy. Right. <laughs> but yeah, when you're confident with yourself and, and, and you know the material, it's just a matter of getting a performance. And when you know each other's, you know, uh, approach and idiosyncrasies and, and, and talent, it, it gels pretty quickly with us. So we don't waste time. You, you, you can get two really good takes in an hour and you go, fine, that, that ain't going to get better, you know, because you're hitting it at such a high level to begin with. And it, it's the same vocally. And then it just comes down to all the layers of vocals that you guys have to put on to give it that heap polish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, normally, especially when, when Lee was around, we always had the, the, the five of us around one microphone. And we all had our dots on the floor where you had to stand to proximity to that mic to get the, uh, what do we used to call it? We had some nickname for it. Like, the, 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 it, it was something really corny, like the, okay, man, let's get that angelic chorus or something that we had. <laughs> right. And everybody would, take, you know, on your marks. Mm-hmm. Get set, go, and we'd all be on our little gaffer tape mark, and it, it was a lot easier for the producer to to record that way because all the sound levels were preset to how close. Like Lee's voice was so big, he would be the furthest away. Trevor would be quite close. Phil would be between me and Lee, so we, we all had our places, and that gave us that that special keep choral sound. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. If you guys are all going to sing at your own volume, standing next to each other or at the same distance is going to make it mush. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Or it'd be forever putting faders up or if you all had your own separate mics, but to get that organic chorus sound, you know, if you go ever see a, a proper choir singing, there's only a couple of ambient mics. Everybody doesn't have their own mic right, to yeah. get that that fullness. And that's how keep work. Yeah. Well, I can't argue because the result is amazing, you know, at the end of the day. And that's that's it. You know, after years and years of playing with each other and singing in studios and you get that chemistry of, okay, this is where it's going to get set up and this is how the vocals are going to be done. And this is how the guitars are going to be, you know, like segregated from the rest because it's so damn loud. And, you know, it, it, you have that formula even before you go into the studio because you know that it works. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in the end result. Like I said, it's just, it's fantastic. And the sound you guys got on living the dream. I can't wait to hear the new one. That's That's really all I could say about it. Thank you so much. It's not a problem, Scott. It's been fun. It has. I look forward to it. I look forward to the time when you guys can get back over here to the States and uh, come back to, to visit us here in Vegas and do another show. Oh, man. We we were hoping to go uh, this year, actually quite early this year. And because of the restrictions, uh, it's it's not the promoters. The promoters want the music and they want the bands but it's getting insurance to cover the shows. Mm. That's where everybody's really having a, a tough time because the insurance companies just, it's this unknown factor and they, they don't want to take a chance. So it, if you can see a band that's out on tour, it probably won't be a European band. And if it is, 
boy, they've jumped through some hoops to get those shows put in because we've we were just chomping at the bit. We wanted to get over to America again, you know, because of the success with Judas Priest tour and how much fun and new uh, audience we created there. We we want to capitalize on that, and it just it's not there yet. I'm keeping my is fingers there, crossed. Is you there know? a lot of bands out on tour? There are. Are there a lot? Uh, of- there are. Well, I mean, it's like gunslinger days here. You know, if you're if you're inside, you're required to wear a mask, but nobody's really monitoring anything. I mean, you've seen how big the casinos are. You can't really monitor all of those people. It's not possible. At the venues, it's the same thing. I mean, we had, um, I think it was Garth Brooks was here with 60,000 people over at Allegiant wow. Stadium. How, how are you going to maintain... You know, unless you require a vaccination card at the door, how can you possibly maintain yep. any element of safety? And even then, you're still at some element of risk, just a lesser one. So I I don't know how, unless, I, my biggest hope really is that this new variant seems to be lesser than the previous ones. And I'm hoping that it's kind of cycling itself down to nothing, because I don't think we're going to get there if we just depend on people to be responsible enough to make it go away. The, yes. I was listening. I'm not that I'm a politician, but I was watching oh, our news last And uh, the guy with the bad haircut was saying, that's it. No, no, no more masks tomorrow. Yeah, and uh, no more quarantining. And he's just kind of thrown everything out the window. And he's he's used that really silly expression, common sense. Because over the, <laughs> this whole thing, People not have much common sense. No, you know, uh, there's some pretty strange people out there that have got this preconceived idea. You know, of well, didn't one of your uh, American people? I won't mention a man's name. Say uh, it was invented by the Democrats. I have heard it that. was a hope. Uh, but our our senator, another guy with bad hair. <laughs> I can't remember if she, if she was a senator or what, what her role was in, in the Nevada government. But at the, near the very beginning of this, she was basically saying, well, you know what? Some people are just going to have to die if we're going to get through this. Like She was just like, I'll sacrifice some of our people. I'm like, this is really going to go well. <laughs> you know? And this is at the beginning. Oh, so I feel real comfortable. You know? <laughs> I think her career well, is over. Yes. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I, whatever it takes, I hope that that things do. I know some bands from America have gone over to Europe, like the Dead Daisies did uh, a short European tour and they're based out of L.A. Um, but I don't know all the yeah. logistics of how, you know, how it all works. I think we're a lot more like, yeah, we'll go to places and everyone else is like, we're not ready to go to America yet. <laughs> it's too crazy over there. Yeah. And, and what we were finding out was America wasn't ready for Europeans to come over because of the new variant. Mm-hmm. They said, "Oh, they're going to bring it with them." Right. Well, it's it's already there. Yeah, it's here. But uh, yes, it seems to be going up very sharply and then falling just as sharply. So uh, I'm hoping, you know, that we'll be able to get back to near normality as soon as we can. You know, hey, Uriah heaps. We, we've still got all this stuff that says 50th anniversary on it. That's we right. haven't played one anniversary show yet. <laughs> no, we got to get out there. Yeah, you guys had all this stuff planned, and then COVID happened, and you you just couldn't. Oh it. yeah, everything, all back projection, and the biggest production we've ever had, and everything's been put on hold. Yeah. Well, at least we're ready for it when it when it comes time. So stay safe. Fantastic. Out there. Uh, we're we're looking forward to your visit to the new album. Everything. 
we love what you guys have given us, you know, over the 52 years. And it's it's just been amazing. The the body of work, so many amazing songs as I've dug into each one individually and gone. This song's amazing. There's there's only been a couple I've been like, eh, not my favorite. But for the most part, I found some great stuff in every single song. And you guys are just one of the most amazing wow. bands. You you mean so much to me. And, you know, obviously you're 500,000 Spotify followers and <laughs> everything else. It's just <laughs> insane. So thank you guys from all of us. Okay. Well, thank you, Scott. Thank you very much, Mike. And uh, when you guys do get to Vegas, first round's on me. Mine's a margarita. (laughs) Thank you, Bernie. You take care. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks a lot, Scott. Ciao for now. Ciao.